Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. So today we have Bill Sinclair, who's in the same age bracket as I am, which is great. He's the president and CEO of the Neighborhood Group Community Service. So welcome, Bill. Hello. Okay, so let's get started. And let's start with your academic experience first. So I have my um, undergraduate degree from New uh, University of Toronto in sociology and psychology. And then I went and did my master's in social work at, uh, at U of T. So I'm, I'm a social worker. Okay. And a U of T supporter. Yes. Obviously. Okay. So after you, uh, or maybe even during your education, did you do some work experiences? And then after you completed your master, what about your work experiences? Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as a, as a master of social work, I had practicum placements as a student, but also summer jobs and part-time jobs to pay pay my way through school. So, yeah, I did a number of things, um, took care of seniors, provided homemaking for seniors, um, uh, worked for a couple of summers in um, uh, one working with unemployed youth in a youth employment center, and uh, also worked in overnight shifts in a, a group home for young offenders. Uh, also did practical placements at uh, Toronto Employment and Social Services, um, although back then it was called uh, the Welfare Department, um, working with people who are receiving social assistance. Um, and also a practical placement working uh, at the Meeting Place, a homeless drop-in in downtown city of Toronto run by St. Christopher House. Um, also uh, a little bit involved in student politics, so a little bit learning about community organizing and uh, how to uh, how to organize people around progressive social issues, things like that. After I graduated, I, I went to work, I've always worked in the um, community services sector, nonprofit charities in Toronto, um, at first with uh, York Community Services, um, which is now part of Unison, uh, community health center uh, since they had a, a merger but back then it was called York Community Services and uh, one of my first jobs full-time jobs after graduation was as the housing coordinator helping people look for housing in the suburbs in the inner suburbs and um, was fortunate enough to work with a group of like-minded people including the mayor of the old city of York pre-amalgamation in Toronto and we um, we created a youth shelter um, horizons for youth, um, because back then, you know, many human services were focused in the downtown core, and people in the suburbs, when they needed support, often had to travel downtown, including youth who were homeless would would have to quit high school, give up their jobs and family relationships, and and go into shelters downtown. So um, we were trying to build up that uh, inner suburb infrastructure for people. Uh, and then later I went to St. Stephen's Community House, um, uh, which uh, ended up there as the executive director. And then they merged um, just in 2020 
with uh, Central Neighborhood House and Neighborhood Link Support Services. And we have a new name, the Neighborhood Group, the Neighborhood Group Community Services. But all of these organizations are neighborhood-based, street-level, open-door places where um, uh, families and individuals and youth and people of all ages come to for um, daily community services. So as an example, we run daycare centers. So we have uh, uh, almost a, you know, a thousand children in daycare uh, in our daycare centers, nonprofit charitable daycares in Toronto. We have home care. So we have uh, almost 200 personal support workers who go out and crisscross the city and support seniors and people with disabilities to live in their home and provide them with personal care. Um, we have employment services and youth drop-in centers, um, newcomer services and English classes for new Canadians. So all the things you would sort of think of. Um, and our neighborhoods are spread across the city from Harborfront to Cabbage Town to Regent Park to um, Kensington Market to um, Taylor Massey to um, Willowdale and uh, Black Creek. And so people in those neighborhoods, when they need a daycare or they need home support or they need a place to go for uh, for services, um, the neighborhood group will have sites there that would be doing that. And in total, according to the website, 34 years. 34 years. Bill, that's a long time. Oh, for me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a career. I, I love working sidewalk level services, building up neighborhoods, providing uh, neighborhood level services. And, and then also, of course, my, uh, you know, one of my passions is organizing still. So um, not just giving services, but helping people plan and, and develop what they need to have healthier, and vibrant and successful neighborhoods. Um, so community development focus and advocacy focus, making sure people have a voice at City Hall and, and Queen's Park and, and people can speak out about the issues that affect them. And it's never dull because we provide services for all ages and in multiple neighborhoods. Yeah, 34 years. 34 years. And you won a special award. Yes, I recently won the uh, um, Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, Francis Lincoln Lifetime Achievement Award put out by the Social Planning Toronto. Um, of course, I'm, I'm not finished. My, uh, my lifetime achievements are hopefully not over, but, um, you know, it's great to, uh, it was lovely to have that recognition for the work of the last 34 years. So, Bill, all of this activity costs money. What are your sources of revenue for your organization? So we, we partner with, um, we'd like to say partner with, I hope they see us as partners um, with all levels of government and multiple ministries of government. So obviously, you know, uh, it's a different department for, um, for child care and for home care for the elderly, for employment services, for youth centers after school, for English classes, for newcomers. All, we are all working with different partners in the, in the federal provincial and city government. We are a United Way anchor agency, actually three times over. We're a United Way anchor organization um, and representing the United Way approach in communities and we fundraise. So um, uh, individual donations can be made and often we are innovating and trying 
new services and new approaches to, to community problems ahead of government. So we will try something, we'll pilot it out. Um, often donors will support us, uh, foundations and individuals. And then if we can prove our case, sometimes the government takes over and begins to fund them. So, you know, um, at St. Stephen's Community House, one of the partners who formed the neighborhood group, um, our very first paid staff person was an English teacher. And, uh, and you know, we raised money and, and provided English classes. And then now today we have a dozen English classes and they're paid for by the federal government. But, you know, initially that wasn't, that wasn't so. Similarly, you know, our very first daycare center was opened up uh, in a little house in Kensington Market, and it was paid for with a, a small city grant and parent fees. And then, you know, it, it grew over time. And of course, now we are hopefully well on our way to a national child care program and, and uh, more universal access to child care. Um, so, yeah, so we fundraise over a million dollars a year, um, as well as getting support from all these different government partners. Uh you merge three organizations. Do they all do the same thing, or are they different? They all have the same philosophy and approach, this neighborhoods-level storefront grassroots organizations, but um, they each had their own specialty. So Neighborhood Link, um, they were an early pioneer in housing, and today we have over 400 units of affordable housing and supportive housing for families and individuals and seniors. And they really brought a lot to the table in terms of, you know, they actually, we actually have a couple of apartment buildings where we, we have tenants who live there and, and we're providing them supports to live there. Um, for St. Stephen's, um, you know, they were really big in childcare and we brought a lot of childcare oomph to the table. And Central Neighborhood House, of course, is 110 years old and was one of the original um, settlement houses, neighborhood houses, before even public health and before any social services in Toronto. So they, um, you know, they have the longest history um, and a long history serving Regent Park and Cabbage Town and going through this whole neighborhood revitalization. So strong community development roots, strong working with neighborhoods that are becoming what they want it to be. Um, so each one, although they had the same approach and started off in different neighborhoods, you know, bring different expertise to the table. So having said that, how did you become the president and CEO of these three organizations? So the... Uh, Liz Forrestell was the um, executive director at Central Neighborhood House, and she engineered the merger, the creation of the neighborhood group with Neighborhood Link Support Services, and then after with St. Stephen's Community House. And I was the executive director at St. Stephen's Community House. And um, one of the goals of the merge was also uh, succession planning for Liz as she retired last year. And uh, so we merged and I took over as the next CEO of the of the neighborhood group community services. Yeah. So it's because I, I'd been at St. Stephen's for 22 years um, before the merge and uh, a lot of experience running these kinds of services. Okay. So let's look forward and let's say three years from today, What's the new organization going to look like? Are you going to bring in other partners or what, what are you going to do? 
So we're definitely open to new partners. It's, we named ourselves a group in, on purpose, so it's the neighborhood group, because we're not done. I mean, other groups can join us, other organizations can join us and be part of the group. Um, we're, we really, of course, we merged during, during the pandemic and had to develop a lot of pandemic responses. And so I'm still trying to figure out what we'll look like post-pandemic. How do we... How do we help our neighborhoods recover? You know, thousands of people thrown out of work, hundreds of people evicted um, and losing their housing, many people suffering by some of the the uh, secondary effects of, of the pandemic, such as, again, losing your job, losing your housing, losing access to social services, isolation, mental health challenges. You know, so we're just trying to think of the next three years is helping our neighborhoods to recover um from from the pandemic and what it's meant because you know the the people with the lowest income the tenants who live in in, in housing who have the less least security people who didn't have the luxury of working from home um you know they have bigger impacts and of course we saw although there's been much improvement that some neighborhoods high-rise and low-income neighborhoods suffered more from covid than everybody else and so they are recovering. They're grieving the loss of people who died, and they are are getting back uh, back on their feet. So, that's you know that's my main goal for three years. But two other things that we're really proud of at the neighborhood group is part of our community development approach is that um, we uh, we hire people in our programs to help us run our programs, to design them, to deliver them. And we call them peer workers or peer navigators or um, peer support workers. And um, during COVID, when we needed people who lived in these neighborhoods, who lived in these high rises, who have experience in the shelter system, um, who working with people living in encampments in the parks, we needed people who knew what they were doing and had skills and experience and so you know we've actually we always you know we've had, we have over a hundred peer workers at the neighborhood group of all ages and, and uh, backgrounds who who reach out to people speak different languages and support people to attend services but that's really ballooned during covid uh, we've had to double the number of people where we would hire someone who lives right in the neighborhood who um, knows people who live in the shelters or lives in the encampments who can reach out to daycare parents who are struggling and know and, and know what it's like who've been there. Um, so, you know, that is a big part of what we work and I see three years from now, I see that as our future is that, uh, um, you know, we need to uh, have that community development approach, that community connection of hiring people in all of these neighborhoods and all of these life circumstances. The other thing is that many groups got together in COVID and created instant um, solutions, local neighborhood solutions, mutual aid solutions, neighbors helping neighbor solutions. And people wanted to give them money, but they were not incorporated. They were not charitable. They had no structure. Um, they were doing it all off of a cell phone. And so we actually trusteed uh, over 40 different groups. Um, we're, we're trusting 40 different groups in the last two years of people with um, solutions, neighborhood-based solutions, but they need a trustee. They need someone with a bank account and, and uh, sometimes charitable status, but incorporation and, um, and someone who could 
help them manage this money and put it out quickly in the community. So there was a lot of COVID response programming, youth programming, um, uh, new Canadian programming, women's programming that needed us to do trusteeships. So um, the trusteeships really ballooned. We usually do some trusteeships all the time, but as I say, we did 40 in the last two years and not um, insignificant amounts of money, probably $2 million in trustee funds um, supporting groups that, uh, that otherwise wouldn't be able to do those dreams and fulfill those dreams and things like that. So I see that's another future for our organization. When you're 110 years old, you have to be supporting the new um, budding uh, seeds, the new seeds in the community of, of emerging ideas and groups and leaders and people who've got great ideas. And that's, a, that's part of what we've been doing. So, Bill, talk about the importance of volunteers to your organization. So we have over 2,000 volunteers, and most programs use volunteers. It's been a real struggle, though, during co the pandemic because, you know, the average age of the volunteers is older, um, and a lot of people volunteer when they are retired um, or they're retiring for school, and that stopped almost completely the, the high school students or the university students, some of the seniors. So a lot of the also corporate groups, you know, companies in the neighborhood would come out and spend a day and volunteer for us. And, and you know, that all got disrupted during the pandemic. So um, a real loss. But, you know, for example, uh, in, in a couple of our neighborhoods, um, local churches and synagogues and, and, you know, legion groups and neighborhood groups that used to do community meals and food banks and things uh, out of the cold, you know, um, where, uh, where homeless people would, would stay in an out of the cold, they had to shut down during the pandemic because they, um, they were all uh, older, and this was before the vaccine, and uh, we had to kind of pick up the slack. So um, we had to create a second food bank um, and, uh, and start to, you know, a lot of food flowed through us, flowed through our organization this year, grocery cards and food and Daily Bread Food Bank was just a champion in getting food out in the community. Um, and we had to find different ways of, of getting the food to people and door-to-door -door delivery. Uh, a lot of the seniors couldn't come out to pick up food, couldn't go to the grocery store. So we had to find ways to bring it to their door. Um, our Meals on Wheels doubled. You know, we deliver Meals on Wheels, and that doubled as well. So, uh, and uh, those volunteers were pushed to the limits, right? So many volunteers are needed for Meals on Wheels and for the food bank and, and these community meals and these out of the colds. Um, so we had to find different ways of, of working and um, coming up with neighborhood responses. So at this point, you're based in Toronto. Yep. Have you had inquiries from other communities to replicate some of the things you're doing? We... we um, we talk to people in other cities, but, you know, it's our charitable mission. You know, every charity in Canada declares their mission um, to the to get charitable status, and we are Toronto-focused. Um, so we're happy to share our examples of what we do, everything you know, people can learn from us. Um, but we only take care of Toronto because we feel local people, our local board of directors, our local volunteers, and our local peer leaders should live in the neighborhoods that we work and provide services in the neighborhoods where they live. And that that is the nature of our kind of charity. Um, we're not an international relations, you know, kind of charity. 
we are local people trying to come up with local solutions. So we will support groups in Hamilton and elsewhere, but um, our, our mission is, is Toronto. Um, and you have a big board of directors. Yes. Well, because when we merged, we invited all the board members to come together. We didn't want to pick and choose. We didn't want to exclude people. We brought all the staff, all the volunteers, all the board members, and said, you're all welcome to the group. So, yeah, so we have a large board at the moment, but, you know, they will rotate off as they have term limits, and over time we'll go back to a more normal number. But we didn't want to say – we didn't want to start off our, our merger by kicking people out of our family. So everybody was brought on board. Excellent. So how do people find out more about your organization? What's the website? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're actually building our first merged organization, our, our new website. But at the moment, it's, it's www.theneighborhoodgroup.org. And uh, so that's spelled in the Canadian way. So uh, T-H-E-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-U-R-H-O-O-D-G-R-O-U-P. So the neighborhood group um, with the OU, OU and neighbor, um, dot org. And uh, uh, we're actually updating it to include more information about our three organizations. Um, and uh, uh, so that'll be ready this fall, but uh, it got a bit delayed by the pandemic. But yeah, so you can learn all about us. And um, that's probably the best way. Um, we... Uh, we still are using all of our old phone numbers. So if people are used to calling Central Neighborhood House, that phone number still works. St. Stephen's Community House, that phone number still works. The Neighborhood Link Support Services, that phone number still works. And our sites are still where they were in the traditional neighborhoods and so forth. Um, so we actually have 32 locations across the city. So uh, people can look for, uh, look for the, the traditional uh, signage of our organizations or the new the neighborhood group. Now, Toronto is a multicultural community with different religions and different languages. How do you deal with those issues? We try to speak the 10 top languages for Toronto. Um, and of course, we have sites in Chinatown and Greek Town and Little Portugal and Little Italy and um, uh, you know Taylor Massey and Oak Ridge and um, all these different neighborhoods, Willowdale. And so we try to pay attention to that. So we have, um, especially by location, we pay attention to the neighborhood. So while staff who speak English, Mandarin, Cantonese, uh, Farsi, uh, Korean. Um, Bengali, Somali, uh, Arabic. Uh, oh, I'm missing some, I know. But we're, you know, French. And so we try to have uh, Portuguese, Italian, Greek. Uh, so we try to have staff who speaks different languages, but it is hard because the receptionist can't speak all of the languages. Um, but if people can ask for a language, we can usually find someone to speak to them in one of those languages. And we produce flyers and information uh, particularly in in English and uh, Chinese characters um, uh, for um, populations who um, you know are are still learning English. 
So uh, we'll have multicultural flyers out in neighborhoods for different events and uh, different outreach. And during COVID, when we were focusing on going out to these high-rise apartment buildings and neighborhoods where new Canadians would often live, uh, we would have multilingual flyers and try to connect with people who were isolated because they don't have family in Canada. They haven't been here that long. They don't have large networks and friend groups and so they were really isolated with the shutdown and how we would reach out to them and, and let them know what was happening and what was available to them so final question in terms of our listening audience what is your ask of the listening audience well um we welcome you to learn more about the neighborhood group you can donate to innovative services and new emerging services. Um, we're often, as I say, doing things ahead of where the government is at. So we've been running a, you know, for example, an overdose prevention site for the last three years as the o opioid overdose crisis is just um, the worst it's ever been in Ontario. Ontario is now the worst in Canada for um, people who are, are suffering and uh, experiencing overdoses and dying of overdoses. We had our worst month um, in the past year, our worst week, our worst day of overdose deaths and, and 911 calls for overdoses. Um, so this is a real crisis the city is facing and we're not receiving government funds for that, but we feel we have to respond because that's what's happening in our city. So that's one of our fundraise projects. Another fundraise project is youth outreach. So we have uh, youth outreach workers who've been out in the streets and meeting with people throughout COVID, um, worried about their mental health and, and connecting with folks. Um, and again, that's not funded by the government. Uh, we, we do thank uh, some of our foundations and donors who are keeping that program going. Uh, our food bank, of course, is not funded by the government, but food has been an enormous crisis in the last two years. Um, so anyway, uh, there's a number of things that we're doing uh, subsidies for summer camps, subsidies for Meals on Wheels, um, uh, subsidy for childcare. So ways in which we're supporting people to get these services and, um, and so donations are always welcome. But more importantly, um, you know, this is a year where we might have two elections and it's really time that everyone stepped up and think about what kind of city do we want to have, city, province, and country. Um, we believe that uh, healthy communities are built up by healthy, vibrant neighborhoods and local economies and uh, people who can live and work in these economies and take care of each other and take care of people who are, uh, have, are, are new to Canada, people who are living with disabilities, people who are older and may not have the Canadian pension. Um, and how do we take care of each other? So I hope people will... Um, will organize and get active and think about the kind of country they want coming out of this pandemic that takes care of each other and, uh, and, and uh, get involved in politics this year uh, and get involved in your local neighborhood center. And if you're outside of Toronto in another city, um, there are organizations like us that provide home care and daycare, after school programs for youth, employment services, English classes, all of these things are available near you, and they need your support. Well, thank you very much, Bill. You're going to be the go-to organization in Toronto.
for a variety of services. And thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.